It's the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our Sunday service on October 14th. And today, we feature another member of our teaching team, Zach Wilson, as he continues uh, to take us through the Gospel of John. This will be uh, part 30, I believe. This one's called The Spacious Life. We're looking at some famous words of Jesus. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What does that mean? What's it mean to be a slave to sin? What's it mean to truly walk in freedom? Don't forget this coming Saturday, uh, October 20th, we have Fall for Art in downtown Covington. Come by our location at 525 East Boston Street. We'll have live painting, uh, art from lots of local artists, and live music. Uh, It's going to be a great time. Also, we have a chili cook-up coming up. in November, so check out the website, northshorevineyard.org, for more details. All right, let's head to the talk. Yeah, like uh, Christmas said, um, on his teaching team, uh, for about, I guess, the past year and a half, and when he called me one evening and, and made the pitch, it was pretty much this. We're going to get together once a week or so, eat breakfast, drink coffee, and, and just kind of discuss the past Sunday's message, what could have, you know, the good points, the bad points, and, and maybe bat around some ideas for the following Sunday. And that's what we've done for the past year or so, until about a month ago when Crispin asked us all to teach a Sunday, which was a, a little bit of a curveball, because th- that wasn't in the original pitch. It wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't, you're going to preach one Sunday. It, it was just, you know, drinking coffee and eating and, and critiquing Crispin. That's, that's, that's good times. Uh, low pressure. I shouldn't see it, like, in my peripheral. Is that better? Okay. Um, so, like Crispin said, Faith and I were, uh, we were part of the, the startup of this church. And uh, if this is strange and new to you, having me up here, it's, it's strange, new, and scary to me. Um, and I think that's one of the things that drew Faith and I to this, this whole thing that Crispin was going to do, this whole church idea, is that he was willing to explore church and, and how to do church in in a new way, in a more organic way, it seemed to me. Uh, and I, I haven't, I've been in church all my life. My, my parents, uh, my dad's a pastor. We've we just grown up in church. And I've never been in a church that had a teaching team. A, I've never been in a church that had a teaching team made up of an electrician, stay-at-home mom, uh, construction owners, you know, these, these people who we don't have degrees in divinity or anything like that. It's, so it's very offbeat and, and, and scary. So if you get nothing else out of this, please appreciate that Crispin is willing to go out on a limb. Uh, and and if, if he doesn't invite me back up, you know why. So I'll try not to. So, and so when he asked us to talk, uh, we got to choose. We got to cherry pick, which is sweet, because Crispin's had some doozies going through John. Uh, but uh, I got to read ahead a little bit and came upon the text for today. And uh, today we are in John 8, 
verses 30 through 36, and we're going to get started. As Jesus said all this, many people believed in him. So Jesus spoke to the Judeans who believed in him. If you remain in my word, he said, you really will be my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We are Abraham's descendants, they replied. We've never been anyone's slaves. How can you say that we'll become free? I'm telling you the solemn truth, Jesus replied. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't live in the house forever, but the son lives there forever. So you see, if the son makes you free, you will be truly free. So Jesus is talking to these Judeans who have expressed belief in him, whatever that, to an, a limited degree, and he's inviting them a little further. And when I first read this, the, the line that grabbed me is, you know, the truth, and the truth will make you free. I think that's a oft-repeated line, uh, even in the secular world, and, and it has a lot of meaning in itself. But I want to explore this a little deeper and, and try to find out where these Judeans were coming from, because their initial reaction to Jesus and his invitation is freedom. We've never been slaves. And somehow they've been able to work out and negotiate an argument in their mind that they've never been slaves, neither had their descendants. And if you read history at all, you know that the Jews were slaves in Egypt for at least 400 some odd years. So there's Maybe a slight disconnect, and, and Jesus rolls with it, and, he, and, and his reply is, if you, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. There's a lot here. So I, I want to try to see if we can identify with these Judeans a little bit and help us get in their head and maybe better understand what God's offering here. Uh, what does slavery look like, and what did it look like back then? I think uh, to the Judeans in their time period, slavery looked like the, the iconic, very physical slavery we might think of today, which is, you know, some, somebody in chains subject to another person's will. And Jesus was talking to them. Obviously, they didn't have chains on. No one was sitting there beating him while Jesus was talking to him. So that's not what they had in mind. Uh, or, or that's what they were saying that they were not a part of. But what does slavery look like today to us? How could we make the uh, identify with these Judeans? And looking and thinking about it, addictions come to mind. And when we think of addictions, we think of the, the big ones like, drug addictions, uh, alcohol, and uh, sex. And these things are very, uh, in, in an addictive context, they're very destructive. And uh, beyond that, there can be social bigotry and, and psychological uh, slavery, I think. Social bigotry in, in the sense of racism and just being discriminated against for any number of reasons and then depression, anxiety, and fear. So there's all these things that I think today might correlate with 
we can make the connections with the Judeans. If they were thinking about physical slavery, these are some physical things that we might look at and say, yeah, that, that might be a slave, an issue of slavery. So, but these Judeans, they, they're the ones that brought this up. And they said, you know, we've never been slaves. And I don't know that Jesus was going to go there, but he rolled with it. Uh, and when Jesus replied, if, if you sin, you're a slave to sin, there, that was cause for pause. So I want to go back. I want to explore this a little bit. What is sin that Jesus, what is the sin that Jesus is talking about? Because we can, I think I can, oftentimes define sin as all the bad things that I'm not doing or partaking in. Usually, you know, if somebody asks me what sin is, I'll name a lot of those ones I just named because I think in my head I, uh, it's not an issue with me. Uh, but I think it's not as vague and gray and ambiguous as we might like to think. And, and we have this tendency, like the Judeans, to make the argument, oh, I've never been a slave. I, I don't, I don't, look, I'm, I don't suffer with, you know, drug addiction. That's not me. I, you know, I don't suffer with, you know, a sex addiction. That's, that's, I'm not oppressed. And Jesus went beyond that. And so I think to go beyond that, we're going to have to go back to Genesis and figure out what sin is. And in Genesis 1, chapter 1, chapter 2, into chapter 3, I can't read it, but it's a great picture of creation and how all this came to be. But this is the gist of it. This is the condensed abbreviated version. In the beginning, God created the earth. And he put everything in it. And, and he did it over uh, maybe a, a seven-day time span. Whatever the time span was, when he would finish for the day, he would look at what he did and say, this is good. This is, this is good. And this all culminated in him creating Adam. And he was... When he made Adam, when he created Adam, it was in his own image. So God, in all his creativity, when he finishes and, and he creates Adam, he's, it's like an artist putting his signature on creation. This is what, this is me. I'm, this is, I want to be a part of this creation so much. I'm going to create something that looks like me. And even then, it wasn't complete. He realized that Adam needed help. Uh, and, and so he created Eve. And, and if you read Genesis, he, God tried. He did. He, he brought all these animals. He'd already created it and said, hey, Adam, these work. Can you, can you use one of these fellows as, as your helper? And it, it didn't work. The, as close as he came was the dog. And <laughs> that, that, that didn't cut it. So he created Eve. And so Eve and Adam, they live in this garden with God. And there's this great communion of the creator and the created. You get the sense reading Genesis that God would walk with them and talk with them and interact with them, much like we might with each other or, or a husband might with a wife. 
Right? It was very familial. It, it, was, it was just the very best that God could do, he had done, and he wanted to be a part of it. There was only one rule, really, and that was you can't eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. He gave them another tree to eat of, and that was the tree of life. But this one tree they couldn't eat. And one day along comes a snake. And he approaches Eve and says, look, why don't you try this fruit? It looks really good. And Eve responds appropriately and says, I, I can't. Jesus, is, or not Jesus, God has told us we can't eat of this tree. This is the one we, tree we can't eat of. And the snake replies, well, but it's good for you. You, you, you should try it. And Eve says, well, we'll die if we eat. We're going to die. And the snake says, no. You won't die. You, sh- you sure won't die. You're going to actually become like God. And he convinces her, and she eats it, and, and so does Adam. And what instantly happened was this separation from the creator. This, it was like the great divorce. It was just... In an instant, when they ate, they felt shame for the first time. And Genesis account says they realized that they were naked. Um, I'm sure there is a, a great book out there and some great teachings and in-depth knowledge or just good stuff on what this tree, what it actually did. Um, and I, and I asked myself when I read this, what, what could be wrong with eating of a tree of knowledge of good and evil? It doesn't sound bad. I, it doesn't really sound tasty, but it's, it doesn't sound like it's going to kill you. But what happened was with this came, it was, they did it in disobedience to God, one. But it created this separation. All of a sudden, they were apart from God And their view of the world was viewed outside the presence of God. And it was, uh, and with it came this overarching concern that included just all things external. They were, all of a sudden, they were naked and they had to hide. They had to, they heard God walking and they had to hide. Um... And to me, just in context with what John is saying, if we keep it very simple, sin, as might be defined by Genesis, is separation from God, being outside his presence. And that happens when we disobey him. So Jesus, uh, his, this great equalizer that he throws out there, when the Judeans say, we've never been slaves, is... Well, if you're not in my presence, if you're not part of what I'm doing, then you are a slave. There's something else going on, something else that's driving you.
And if that wasn't enough, you know, that he had to throw that wrench in, in these guys' defense. Um, part of this whole conversation with them is that, hey, look, if you really want to be my disciples, remain in my word. Now, growing up in church, like I said, I, the, the word disciple has this very heavy connotation to it. It's, it. It had, I was looking at it externally, I think, but it had all these things that it, you had to look like. And if you look at the New Testament, just it seemed like you had to get everything right to me. There was, there was a lot of pressure that came along with this word disciple, and it's always been kind of scary to me. And then remaining in his word, what does that mean? I, if I look at it a very <laughs> linearly and not figuratively, it, it seems scary. Is, is God telling us we need to live some monastic life with our noses buried in a book? And I don't think so. About 10 years ago, I, was, um, I went on a whitewater rafting trip to the Ocoee River up in uh, Tennessee with some friends. There's about six of us. And um, we camped on the river. It was awesome. And next to us, in the, uh, camping next to us in another tent, was a young couple. Uh, very hippie one-with-the-earth type people, really cool. And we hit it off with them. Uh, they were easy to get along with. We ended up inviting them over for dinner. And uh, we had probably two, three-hour conversation with them that night. And it was, it was cool. And it led to talk about God. Now, these guys didn't have really a grid for God. If you asked them, they would tell you, I don't, I don't know if there's a God, and if there is a God, I don't know that he has a son, Jesus, and if, and if his son is Jesus, I don't know that he died for me. It was, it was very open. There wasn't any hostility, but it was just very, it was kind of a big question mark for him. And like I said, I've always struggled with this, this whole disciple thing, this idea of being a disciple of God, because part of it, to me, entail telling other people about Jesus, which seems scary because if you're not looking at it and, and walking around and experiencing God like Crispin shared with you guys just a little bit ago, his story of, about being up in uh, the Carolinas, there's, if you're looking at it externally, there's this intense pressure to, I've got I've to say something to people. There's, uh, God obviously wants me to share about him. And that's how I felt up until this point. And I was feeling a little bit of that pressure that night when we were talking about God. And God gave me a peace, and I think he led me to say what I said next. I, I asked these guys, I said, well, look, you guys love each other. And they said, yeah, we do. Pretty easily. And it's a good thing because if they had said no, my whole thing would have just crashed. It would have just been gone. I would, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> Y'all going rafting tomorrow. <laughs> but thankfully, they said, yeah, yeah, we love each other. I said, well, look, my, what I know about God, one of the real concrete things I know about him is he is love. So if you are experiencing love, if you love each other in this selfless way, 
and uh, a serving, just selfless way, then you have actually experienced something of God. That's, there's something of his nature there. And it wasn't like they fell to their knees and, you know, there was no prayer that night. There wasn't anything eye-opening. It wasn't like a big light turned on in their head. But it did in mine. And all of a sudden I had this idea that that was, that wasn't strange at all, at least to me. It was, I was getting to share something of the creator that I knew uh, in a very real way. And so, when Jesus is saying here to the Judeans, uh, if you remain in my word, you'll be my disciples, the sense that I get is that he's saying, look, remaining in my word is, is not this scary thing. It's, and we're going to read, we have to read a verse I skipped, but it's simply being in my presence, walking in relationship with me. The, the rest of the stuff that's entailed and, you know, that you might think of as a disciple, that, that comes out naturally. That's, it's, it's like a bird making noise. It just happens. If you're going to be in relationship with God, this stuff is it's going to happen. And it's not going to be this hard, heavy thing. John 1, verses 1 through 5 John, his whole introduction, and we've been going through this book, and I think this is appropriate because John, his whole introduction into this book that he writes, he introduces Jesus like this. And this may sound familiar. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John, his witness and his idea of God, and he's one of, obviously, this is a a first-hand account of him, and he's a disciple of God, walking in relationship. And this is his sense of what God's saying, and I think this is, plays into what he's saying to the Judeans. If you remain in my word, you'll be my disciples. It's not an invitation to sign a dotted line and then check out, you know, 30 boxes every day of what you did and did not do. Um, It's a invitation to just be in his presence. Popeye had a mantra. Are you guys uh, familiar with Popeye the Sailor Man? What was his mantra? What would he say? I am what I am, and that's all that I am. Uh, it seems like a very deprecating uh, mantra. Like, if you say that, you just. This guy didn't think much of himself. He was this feeble sailor who knew how to play tunes with his pipe. And, but he had this mantra, I am what I am, that's all that I am. 
and that's a, an M with a Y. So, but it wasn't really, him saying that wasn't the true reality that he lived in. It wasn't, it wasn't all there was to it. Popeye had this overwhelming drive to be olive oil's man. She wanted, he wanted to save her. He wanted to be her lover. He wanted to be her boyfriend. And he was willing to go toe-to-toe with Brutus any day of the week, uh, which really wasn't a good idea unless he had some spinach on him because <laughs> see the movie or the, show, the, the cartoons. He, he, got, he got walloped uh, until he, he ate the spinach. But so, as funny and as light as this is, I think there is something that we can get from Popeye because when Jesus, when he's saying to these Judeans, if you remain in my word, I'll, you'll be my disciples, you'll know the truth and I'll make you free, their, their first reaction is, I, I don't need to be free, I'm not a slave. I think that if we adopt this attitude that I am what I am, and that's all that I am, Jesus has room to move. There's something there that he can take and ply. He can adopt, and there's, alway, there's already a, a point of surrender. Because Popeye's mantra, even though it, it seems self-deprecating, it, it's, a, it's a true realization of where he was at and that he could and he wanted to be more, though. Back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve ate this fruit, there was this, this separation from, from God. And, and it seemed a... Like we were saying earlier, there's this. All of a sudden, their worldview was from the outside. Up until eating of that tree, they were with God. They were in communion with Him. They were they, they were one. They, it was they lived in the same house. And when they ate this tree and got kicked out, it seems like it. With it came the shame, this anxiety, this fear of what what I should do. And, and this, Chrisman talks about it a good bit, if you've been here at all, about the, the bounded set and the centered set. And this idea of living life as it relates to God. And if the bounded set being, there's a bunch of rules. There's, there's a circle that you either in or out. And the centered set being that there's Jesus in the center and you're either moving towards him or you're moving away from him. Well, to me, it seems like this, this whole tree thing that happened in Eden was the beginning of what we took on. And it was this, as, as fallen man, it was this bounded set idea of living that we had to get back into the garden. And to do that, you had to jump through this hoop. You couldn't do this. You could do that. And we give these Pharisees that we read about a lot in John, we give them a hard knock because it seems to me like they were promoting the idea of eating of this tree. There, there was, look, 
there's a million rules you've got to live by if you're going to be perfect. And sadly, sometimes I think we, we bring it into the church today. And Jesus is offering these Judeans an escape. He's saying, look, this is, I'm offering you real freedom. Sin and the slavery that you are in is simply because you're not in my presence. You're not walking with me. There's, there's a lack. This discipleship is really just a relational walking out of what God has put in place for us. And he wants it back. And he's not all out. He's not out and out just saying it to, to these Judeans. He's, it's very subtle. But this is what I see here. David, in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty, he wrote a song. And if you read the song, it's kind of depressing. <laughs> like, there's 40 verses, and, and there's, he laments a lot, and then, but he'll, you know, he'll go five verses of saying how sad he is about something, and then he'll say, man, but God is always there. It's, I, and he keeps coming back to this overwhelming idea that God's always present in what he's going through. But he says this, and this is something I want to latch on to and, and correlate it to what we read in Genesis. In verse 20, 20, he says this, He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And when we read that Genesis account, it looked to me like an artist. Like this, God created this beautiful, magnificent world and put us in it. And he created us in his own image. And... He was immensely proud of it. He couldn't get enough. He wanted to be here. He wanted to be with us. And I kind of make that leap in my own head. I, I can, I, being a songwriter, I, writing a piece of music, I, when I play something I've written, I, I feel like I own it. It's part of me. I, I want to share it. Faith usually hears the stuff I write five minutes after I write it. And it's just this natural tendency as, as an artist to, I, I made something, I want to I put it out there, I, I wanna, and I want to I be part of it. And that's what this whole Genesis account and this whole, and it seems consistent if you read the Bible, that God made this creation, he did this thing, he painted this picture, he, he made this magnificent us, and we disobeyed and, and it there was this great divorce and he's wanting to get us back there. This uh, Eden, the Garden of Eden, it may sound fanciful and, and overly romantic to say that, but he really, uh, God the Creator, Jesus, when he's talking to these Judeans, when he says, you know, if you remain in my word, you'll be my disciples and you'll be truly free. What I hear is, you are who you are, but you're not fully who you're, you could be. And, and being in relationship, I'm your creator. I'm the son of God. And there's so much more to life than what you've experienced. And this whole bound, it said, it looks, when we look at all these things externally, 
to use an example, Crispin was talking about this girl who got hurt with the IED, her knees. Externally, you just think, wow, that's tough. I hope she's okay. But looking at things through the prism of being redeemed, you know that that's not, that's not the end of the story. Living in God's world, anything's possible. We talk about healing and, and all these different fruits, and there's, there's so much in the Bible that is challenging and, and daunting, but really, I think it's a natural progression of walking with God. It may not happen on day one or day 500, but getting closer and closer and walking in that direction, living a God-centered life, you're going to go there. And that is Jesus' invitation to the Judeans, I think, and to us. Well, the one thing we didn't talk about was uh, the truth and how it makes you free. And today, if you listen to any of these politicians, it seems like everybody's got a corner on the truth, right? You know, the Republican Party's idea of the truth is this, and the Democratic is this, the Libertarian is that. And we get to argue about it, and we get to decide what the truth is. In context with what Jesus is saying to, to these Judeans and the way he says it, I think that the truth as, we, as defined by God is simply this. It's true if it sets you free. If if you experience freedom in the, in the eternal sense, that's truth. Everything else is peripheral. It's, it's external. It doesn't matter. The politics of the day are not going to make their way into the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's, that's an, an earthly thing that doesn't matter in the larger sense. And what Jesus is offering here is... is this quiet provocation for us to just step back in with him, get in tune with him. If, if in relating it to songwriting and being a songwriter, he, if you can imagine a choir and a chorus and everyone singing their own song, it, it's, dis, it's disjointed. You don't want to hear it. And, and there's no unity there. Jesus is saying, come sing my song. It's, Let's do this. Let's. I want to be with you again. I, and to me, that's the that's the total sum of this. That's all I got. Let's stand. I want to. Want to pray? But let's ask a question. Is there anything I think that? When Jesus was talking to these Judeans and they made this claim that they threw up this, this instant shield, I, I'm, I'm not a slave. And I think that's, like I said earlier, that's usually my tendency. I, if somebody offers me freedom, I'll be like, from what? I'm okay. And we need to get to that place where Popeye was. I, I am what I am. That's all that I am. but I'm not yet free.
And ask yourself that this morning. If there's anything specific or that Jesus might be uh, might need to free you from, he can do it. And he wants to. And Jesus, we thank you for this invitation, this, this provocation to walk with you to really to realize what we were created to be I just ask you to well I Continue to, to make this call because we want to answer and we want to be one with our Creator and we want to sing your song. I ask you to come, I ask you to bless us as a church, Father, as a congregation, as your people to go out this week to recognize you in our everyday life, to respond to the small nuances of where you're leading us, and that we would hear you walking again, and that we wouldn't hide. We would be able to step out into your light and enjoy your grace and your love that's so unfailing. We love you. Amen.